all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fossone. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com. It is uh, September here is National Suicide Prevention Month. So we want to bring to you the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 800-273-8255. As you know, about uh, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. It's a horrible statistic and a situation that's totally unacceptable. So we want to encourage you to kind of keep an eye out for your brothers and sisters uh, who served and if you can prevent a suicide, you're doing God's work. That National Suicide Prevention is 800-273-8255. And the Veterans Crisis Line, uh, run by VA, you dial 988, then press 1 for 24-7 confidential crisis support for veterans and their loved ones. So let's all do our part here in September during National Suicide Prevention Month. We want to welcome here on Veterans Radio, uh, Kate Melcher. Kate is a, a board member for Veterans Radio America, um, and she's going to tell us about uh, radio on the river. But before we get there, I should mention that Kate graduated from the University of Arizona and uh, spent some time doing different interesting jobs in Washington, D.C., and then joined the United States Army, spent uh, about seven and a half years in the Army, learned how to fly helicopters and became a uh, helicopter pilot, um, and uh, has uh, in her current role, she's the executive director of Fisher House Michigan for about uh, almost six years now, helping bring funding in to create uh, Fisher Houses both in Ann Arbor and in Detroit, Michigan, near VA medical centers. So, Kate, uh, with all your veteran-centric uh, uh, work, we really appreciate that you're helping out Veterans Radio and being on its board. 
Well, it's a pleasure to get to do this. And uh, thanks again for inviting me to be on the radio with you today. It's, well, uh, we always have great conversation. We, we do, and we're going to focus it here on the first-ever fundraiser for Veterans Radio. Tell me about uh, Radio on the River. So I have found, you know, in the six years working for Fisher House, that the the thing that every veteran wants to tell is their story. You know, Veterans Radio has been all about, you know, capturing the oral history and, you know, veteran storytelling in a place where, you know, that, that wasn't always um, acceptable. Um, so Radio on the River is actually a place where we can continue that veteran storytelling conversation. Um, we are meeting in Ann Arbor over on um, here on River, and it'll be a nice sort of um, garden party in the afternoon where we get to hear from some pretty amazing veterans. Um, it'll be rather casual. It's it's not a big stage and, and not a big production, but it's a place where you can have a conversation with a World War II veteran, with a Navy veteran who was the skipper of a squadron of F-18s that were just doing training exercises on 9-11 when they got scrambled to go be the first F-18s on station. Um, you know, we've, we've got all kinds of folks that are going to be telling these sorts of stories and it's in an intimate setting. You get to have one-on-one conversation with these folks and it's just a wonderful way to learn more about our veterans, their service and how they continue their service now that they've taken the uniform off. Well, and it's going to be done in a backyard, as you say, garden party kind of setting, casual. There'll be some food, there'll be some drinks, some silent auction, and discussions with uh, a lot of soulmates for many of us. Um, yes, indeed. So I think it's a great way in which to support Veterans Radio, which has been telling America veterans stories for now going on 19 years uh, Dale and his uh, compatriots were doing this when it wasn't at all popular, and so it's really great to keep this uh, institution, if you will, going. If people are interested in either coming to Radio on the River or supporting Veterans uh, Radio America, how do they go about doing this, Kate? Well, the easiest way is to go to veteransradio.net. If you navigate there, the very first thing on our website is going to be Radio on the River. And you can click through. You can buy tickets to Radio on the River. You can become a company sponsor. Um, or you can just make a donate uh, donation to support. This is uh, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor. So you know, we have listeners all over the country. And whether or not you can actually make it to Ann Arbor on September 25th, uh, you still have the opportunity to support. Um, at the end of the event, we're going to be doing a live broadcast so for the folks who can't be in Michigan, you'll also get the opportunity to participate with, with some of our storytellers from that afternoon. And this is an afternoon event, as you say. It'll be Sunday, September 25th from 2 to 5 p.m., and at 5 p.m. the uh, live uh, radios will go on, and, and more of these stories will be aired uh, both on AM and FM radio as well as ultimately getting posted on the Internet. One of the cool things I heard somebody wanting to do uh, in terms of uh, support from out of state was being saying, hey, I'm going to buy a ticket, but I want you to find a, a veteran or a student veteran uh, and donate that ticket to them. So that's a cool way to participate too, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, we have a very active student veteran population at the University of Michigan and at Washtenaw Community College and at Michigan State. 
Um, but, you know, we were all college students once and, you know, maybe a ticket to this event was a little bit out of reach. But sponsoring a ticket for those student veterans is a great way to get a younger generation involved. You know, I'm a post 9-11 vet, but I'm one of the more senior ones. Um, so it would be really great to have folks even younger than me um, that that are that have served or are still serving, getting them involved early on in the culture of veteran storytelling. Veteran storytelling is how we take care of each other. It's it's how we process trauma in some cases. It's how we learn about benefits. It's it's all of these things. And and having our younger generation of veterans start to gather like this in ways that we haven't quite been successful in doing at, at legions and other places. You know, here's an opportunity for them to gather outside on the river, a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We'll feed them, we'll give them some drinks, and uh, we'll listen to some great veteran storytelling. Well, I, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity to support uh, Veterans Radio America. As I say, it's been on the air for 19 years. Not always been popular to be on the air, and it costs a little money to keep it up, although this is primarily a passion project for everybody involved. Um, so it's Radio on the River, September 25th. You can go to veteransradio.net and click on the banner and support uh, the cause or buy a ticket and show up. We'd love to have you. Or donate a ticket, a very cool idea. Uh, Kate, anything else you want to pass along to our listeners? I'm just excited to see folks on Sunday the 25th. Uh, veteransradio.net is a great place to start. Whether you can join us that day or not, there's always a ton of information and other veteran storytelling um, always available on our veteransradio.net and via our podcasts. So we look forward to seeing you, and thank you for your support. Let's jump into our interview with Tom, Major Tom Schumann, who wrote Always Faithful about his efforts to get his interpreter out of Afghanistan about a year ago at the time of the fall. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Major Tom Schumann, United States Marine. Uh, welcome, Tom, to Veterans Radio. Sir, thanks for having me. Well, Major, it is uh, an honor to actually have you here. Uh, we're going to talk about your background a little bit, um, what you're doing currently, but we want to talk about your uh, book, Always Faithful, that has just come out. Uh, talking about your relationship with your uh, interpreter in uh, Afghanistan and all the efforts uh, that it took to get him into the United States, him and his family into the United States. Uh, so I think Always Faithful, which is one chapter written by the major, one chap- chapter written by the interpreter, uh, is a fascinating read. It uh, really paints a great picture. So uh, Major Help me out. What's uh, what is the interpreter's proper pronunciation of his name? So we just call him Zach, but uh, Zanula Zanula Zaki is his full name. But I'm, he, uh, you know, all, all the interpreters kind of uh, picked up a nickname at some point, and you know, Zaki just went became Zach, and so we, we've always called him Zach. And that's what I'm going to refer to him as. Uh, he's yeah. currently in Texas with his family, working in the construction field. Um, but we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that progress to get here. But let, let's start with this, Major. How did a how did a nice kid like you from Chicago, who who describes his mother as a hippie turned cop, end up in the Marine Corps? Yeah, there's there's this idea of a uh, a rational call to service, and uh, I, I did not grow up playing with GI Joes or watching you know, apocalypse now or anything like that. You know, I wasn't, uh, don't have a 
rich family history of service uh, and really never crossed my mind until uh, I was a sophomore in high school and then it all of a sudden did uh, service. I, I, when, when 9-11 happened, I knew I would serve. At that point, if you asked me what were the branches of service, I probably couldn't have told you all the branches. I could have probably said there's an Army and Navy and maybe an Air Force. Uh, I, it, it, it was it, that, That's where that uh, seed was planted. I, I also felt a sense of civic duty in that uh, my mom uh, never graduated high school and she worked really hard and made some significant sacrifices and provided me opportunities that she could have never afforded for, for herself. And uh, I, I think there's something special about that in this country that, that through some hard work and through some sacrifice, you can pass something on to, to the next generation. And so I wanted to pay into that. So maybe a little bit of, uh, a lot of it in 9-11 and a little bit of sense of civic duty to, to pay into something. And, and, uh, how did I end up in the Marines? Uh, I went to a little ROTC boot camp week and I saw the sailors and I saw the Marines and I said, I like those guys better. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's how I ended up being a Marine. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, somewhat, uh, as I often find in talking to guys, happens this way in that uh, you now have uh, this, you have a master's in English literature from Georgetown University. And what are you doing now? You're teaching at the U.S. Naval Academy. Who would have thought this uh, uh, duty that you service you went into would have ended had you end up there? Yeah, they say, you know, grunts or whatever, crans. I don't like all those kind of uh, – I think those, those, are, those are false uh, reads on, on the status of, of Marines. I think Marines, maybe more than – and I'm obviously biased, but any other service really puts a premium on education. And uh, after Georgetown and after teaching at the Naval Academy, the Marine Corps just sent me to another graduate program at the Naval War College where I I studied uh, national defense and security. So the Marine Corps sent me to three different universities to get two different degrees over a four-year period. It's, uh, I I think, the value and the premium of having a lethal mind and and developing critical thinkers is, is, is a high priority in the Corps. And but it's definitely not something I could have ever, you know, in 2010, when I was in Sangin, if you said, do you think someday you'll be a literature teacher at the Naval Academy? I would have looked at you like you're crazy. But, uh, it, that, yep, that's what happened. Well, and who would have thought you would have ever been an author of a book? And the way this is constructed is sort of chapter by chapter. Uh, the major writes one, Zach writes one. And so when you're telling the audience about um, your growing up in Chicago, Zach is telling the audience in his chapter about growing up in Afghanistan. And so you get this uh, very, in my mind, very eye-opening view of what Afghanistan was like in in years before Americans were there, when the Russians were there, as you went back and forth and ping pong these chapters, uh, Major, was that sort of uh, eye opening and surprising for you as well? The the alter uh, the alternating narrative structure of the story, I think, is critical and, and central. And you know, I, I would have never written a book without Zach. I, I I don't I don't think you know the world needed another guy who spent a a year or two in Afghanistan to tell you what Afghanistan was all about. I, I, I always felt convicted that 
we needed to have Zach's voice in this, and, uh, and and fortunately, we had a publisher that that supported that idea. And I did. I spent 17 months in Afghanistan. I know just a little bit about it, and a little bit about the people, a little bit about the culture. But I I have friends that I made there who were, were born there, and 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 so I, I've I've had an opportunity over the last decade to learn uh, a little bit more about the country, but uh, undoubtedly Zach's. Uh, writing and chapters were illuminating uh, to me, and, and I didn't know many of the stories uh, that are that he shares in his chapters. So it was it was definitely uh, eye opening um, as I as he and I collaborated on, on the book. Well, and that's why one of the reasons I would recommend this to the veteran radio listeners. Uh, I told uh, the major before we get on that this was one of my top two favorite books of the year, and this getting Zach's view of Afghanistan before while the Russians were there and before the Americans get there and while the Americans get there and why he makes the choices he makes to serve. Uh, Tom just explained why he made some decisions to serve. But tell us uh, a little bit about why Zach decided to serve as an interpreter for the Americans. Yeah, Zach felt that uh, he wanted to see a prosperous and more free Afghanistan. Zach's family is, you know, valued education, valued, uh, you know, some of the freedoms that they have. And they felt that the Taliban was a oppressive or restrictive regime. And, uh, and, and he saw America as a country that was in fact there to help the Afghanistan people. Uh, and he, just like anybody's kind of call to service, he felt like, hey, I, ha- I have a civic duty to to improve my country, and this is the best means of doing that is to to, to become allies with with the U.S. forces. And so, yeah, I mean, everybody's trying to make uh, the the place and their future a little bit brighter for their kids and for their family. And, and Zach saw that uh, maybe joining with the coalition was 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 how he can contribute. Yeah, you really got that sense in reading his chapters, and as I say, it sort of mirrored some of the things in a different way that, you know, hey, I'm serving for this reason, he's serving for that reason. But you find yourself in Afghanistan in the Helmand River Valley in 2010 in really some um, horrific times, and you uh, you were with uh, the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, uh, affectionately known as the Dark Horse Battalion, and, and unfortunately, 25 Marines died during that period, and a couple of hundred uh, were wounded. So you were really in the crucible uh, here, and, and Zach becomes your interpreter, and a, and a brotherhood or a bondship really develops that each of you talk about in your respective chapters. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, bond that uh, developed between you and Zach as an interpreter, but really much more? Sure. Most, uh, I went back to Afghanistan as a, with recon and as a JTAC and as an advisor. So I've worked with dozens of interpreters and, and most of them do their job and they translate, you know, and, and I, and that's fine. That's what they're paid to do. They're paid to translate. Whereas Zach was never there just to translate. He could, and he could do that job well, but he, he, he was, you know, when we had guys who were wounded, he was going to pick up a rifle. When, when he heard the Taliban coordinating ambush, he sprints across a, a, a minefield and tackles the guy who's about to initiate the ambush. Uh, he, and, and, and Zach also became a, this kind of a confidant uh, of, of mine in that you, you, you can't uh, 
gripe down. You know, you, you can't pass on your anxieties or your stresses as a commander down to your troops. You, you can only kind of uh, send those messages up. And there wasn't really a whole, everybody was really kind of struggling with all the same stuff. And, and so Zach became a person who I can kind of confide in and was able to kind of console me and, and, and really, um, he, he pretty quickly went from, you know, being our translator, uh, to, to being one of us and, and to kind of, uh, absolutely being one of the Marines and, and, and part of the Brotherhood. Well, and I think we all know that two people can observe the same event and have a much different story about that event. And again, in in these chapter by chapter analysis, it's v- really riveting and very informative to get your view of a particular event in Afghanistan, and then get Zach's view. And, and it, he's always approaching it also with that. That love of country that you mentioned, that, that, you know, Afghanistan is really his home and he has a, uh, I'll call it a bias, uh, uh, in favor of what's going on and how beautiful the country is. I, I have to imagine that your conversations with Zach as you were building the relationship touched on all of these areas, not just the horrors of war, but, but culture and the nature and the beauty of Afghanistan. Yeah, I, I mean, w- when you talk to Zach about his home province of Kunar, I mean, he, he talks about, uh, I, I, I mean, think of your favorite place in this country or, or your favorite mem- memories. And, I mean, he doesn't talk about Afghanistan like the general perception of Afghanistan as a war-torn or what. I mean, he talks of it very fondly. And, and uh, you know, the fall of Afghanistan – he and I did an interview recently and I hadn't heard him say this, but he said that that was the worst day of my life. And that really hit me. And, and I mean, this is a guy who loved his country, loves his culture, uh, loved where he grew up and was proud of where he grew up. And, uh, you know, you can get him talking about Kunar river and, and going fishing there and going to get ice cream and, and like, you know, all, all the kind of things that, we admired and had fun during while we grew up and uh it is it, it is it is devastating to think of uh, where that country's at now and 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 the poverty and the and and the abject kind of uh oppression that, that that's occurring so yeah it's 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 tough well you and that's what you get out of the book always faithful uh which is out now under the uh, William Morrow imprint, it, it is that uh, getting getting a, a native Afghan's view, along with this uh, Marine military officer's view, that I think that makes the the book so fascinating to read and, and quick to read. Um, but you you left uh, uh, Zach as the interpreter for your unit back in I think it was about uh, 2010 and and it's now another decade before the fall of Afghanistan and the plight of Zach and his his wife and his kids that is the you know back third if you will of of the book um, did you have communication with him during that uh, decade period yeah, I, I mean, I was back in Afghanistan fighting a, a year later. 
um, he went and started to support uh, different Army SF units and some CAA guys in his province. And so we were both pretty busy still working in the war. Uh, but we, we stayed friends through Facebook. And then uh, about 2014-15 time frame, we really started kind of talking almost every every week. And then uh, 2015 is when he started to approach me about applying for a special immigration. So visa and, and we spent the next uh, six years working on that visa application so yeah we, we always maintain communication maintain friendship uh you know we during this period we became husbands and dads and so we would always talk about family and how things are going but there was always a very underlying you know stress that zach was being persecuted and, and he was being hunted and by the taliban for his service to the u.s and so that was always something that would bubble up in our conversations is, is that reality as we tried to do what we could to, to move his visa application along over a very, very long period. And that's explained in the book in concrete terms about the messages that were left and, and you know, uh, things that happened at, the, at his house that were attributable to the Taliban that we know who you are, we know what you did, we know where you live. That was sort of the message, wasn't it? Correct. I, I mean, in, in the ES, like you said, it's in no uncertain terms. They're, they're leaving night letters at his father's house saying, we're, we're hunting for you, and when we find you, we're, we're going to kill you. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the thing about Zach's service is not only was he so heroic when he was allied with us, he was then persecuted to the point that he couldn't leave his village. I mean, for, for after he after the army left, uh, Kunar in 2014, he could not leave his village without fear of being murdered, and and he couldn't work anymore without fear of being killed. And uh, that 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 is a I I can't imagine what that stress must feel like to to be under constant persecution for something that you did that was noble and virtuous. And uh, and, and so yeah, he that was a that was a very real threat. Well, as you mentioned, it took six years to work on a visa to get him uh, and his family ultimately out of Afghanistan. And all, during that whole period, these threats were going on. And obviously, we get to uh, the fall, uh, the summer of 2021. And the U.S., uh, beginning in the spring, is talking about we're pulling out. Um, how did that ramp up your anxiety and stress and his about are we be, going to be able to pull this off and and talk to us a little bit about how the hell did you pull it off? Yeah. Uh, it's a simple message. When the president made the announcement, I said, what does that mean to you uh, that, that will be gone in a couple months? And he said, I will certainly be killed by the Taliban. And I said, okay. Well, I'm going to get to work. And so I started a, uh, I had a, I had a decent social media following. And so I started a guerrilla marketing campaign and I just put an appeal out there and I said, Hey, it was a one minute video. I just said, here's Zach. Uh, here's what we've been working on trying to get his visa. And, and here's the threat. Like, if you think you can help, let me know. And, and it caught fire and it, and it built momentum and there's no shortage of people who, wanted to help uh everybody from senator durbin talking to secretary blinken during a confirmation hearing about zach uh secretary blinken saying that he was going to make sure that that was all taken care of you know so when, when you got the secretary of state saying um 
we're, we're on it. You know, uh, we, we, we land on the New York, uh, times front cover. We're, we're on primetime TV and, and all these people are all throwing their weight behind this. And so we feel like even though the situation is desperate and Zach had to flee Kunar to Kabul and that things in Kabul are very, uh, touch and go. And, and then over, you know, within hours, the Taliban, Kabul collapses and the government and, and so we really have this sense of urgency but but we keep kind of thinking that the system is, is maybe going to come through that the system might still deliver what it, it promised and uh, after three very harrowing uh, attempts of, of getting him through the gate at the airport on the third attempt uh, it just took a personal friend of mine who I'd met at basic training and, and, and he jumped the wall and, and grabbed Zach and his family but uh each attempt was dramatic and dangerous and people were killed all around them each time. And he's got four little kids that are all under the age of six and to be dragging his kids into this environment every time. And it was, it was a ton of courage by his children, a ton of courage by his wife and just total resolve and resiliency by Zach to kind of see this through. And then a couple of great Americans out there holding the line, Second time, first Marines, first battalion, eighth Marines, holding the line in this impossible situation. And then a friend of mine, Jared, uh, who ended up being an Air Force pilot, and he's the one that goes in and plucks him out. So, uh, yeah, it was it, we we not. I wish we didn't have a dramatic, you know, ending. I wish it was just, uh, hey, your paperwork got approved and you got on a flight and everything was, you know. But it it's not how it turned out, and uh, the system never delivered, and, and it was through just a lot of through personal heroism and courage that we were able to, to get that out. Well, and, and fortuitous, you happen to know somebody standing at the gate. Uh, I, I mean, uh, if you couldn't have placed that phone call and gotten the right guy in the right spot, the third attempt might not have worked. He would not have gotten out. He would have been like the other 90-something percent of SIV applicants who did not get out. You can hear the rest of this interview on uh, veteransradio.net and the podcast. We go on for another 15 or 20 minutes talking about some of his views on the fall of Afghanistan. It, it's a great book, uh, Always Faithful by Major Tom Schumann, S-C-H-U-E-M-A-N, and his interpreter, Zach. Uh, I really recommend it to you. Uh, a few words from our sponsors, and then we'll uh, move on to some Michigan military history. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative. Maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. Even small actions can make a world of difference. If you know a veteran in crisis, please call the Veterans Crisis Line, 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at one 800 693 4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. A friend of uh, Veterans Radio is offering a free complimentary career coaching sessions in honor of Veterans Day so you can nominate a veteran who will then get uh, awarded 
three complimentary career coaching sessions and the Gallup Strength Assessment Survey. Go to epiphanyccc.com to nominate a veteran. That's epiphany, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y, ccc.com. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio um, Paul J. Ryan, who's going to talk about the upcoming Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor induction ceremony for 2022. Paul, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. We had you on last year to talk about last year's classes, and Paul Ryan is a retired uh, United States Navy captain, and he's the vice chair of the uh, board for the Michigan Military and, a Hall of, and Veterans Hall of Honor. Um, so he's a busy, busy guy, and he's uh, taken on the lead here uh, to induct uh, a whole new class of great Michiganders into the hall this November. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, and we'll start there. Uh, sure, Jim. Uh, the, the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, we'll, we'll keep it short to Hall of Honor, uh, has only been around for a few years. Uh, our purpose is to uh, not only recognize Michiganders for either their uh, military exploits or civilian achievements, uh, civic, business, uh, professional, education, nonprofit uh, accomplishments after they took the uniform off. Uh, we recognize uh, selected individuals in an induction ceremony. This year will be held in uh, November, November 18th, uh, at the uh, Michigan History Center in Lansing. Uh, but beyond that, uh, our goal is to educate the public and particularly uh, Michigan youth uh, about uh, these individuals and in so doing uh, help to encourage if you will a sense of civic pride uh, in uh, in our country in our state and in its citizens and if I understand it right Paul uh, these folks can be nominated by the public. They're nominated by members of the board. They may be a VSO or somebody has nominated. Maybe a family friend has nominated. So it's really a wide open process, isn't it? Oh, yes. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, the nomination documents and the information for members of the public to nominate uh, individuals uh, for this honor are on the Hall of Honors website. If memory serves me, we have multiple uh, nominations from uh, – well, we did have multiple nominations from the public, about six or seven of them. And of those, I believe uh, two uh, actually uh, are going in this year as inductees. The website, by the way, is mimilitaryvethallofhonor.org. And you can go there and find the bios of everybody who's been inducted in 2019, 2020, 2021. And we're going to talk about the 2022 inductees in a minute here. But I wanted to set up how folks can learn more about the Hall of Honor and that website, mimilitaryvethallofhonor.org. Now we're going to turn to the veteran category. And Paul Ryan for the veteran category, and, and who are the six uh, uh, inductees for 2022 that will be 
um, part of the November 18th ceremony up in Lansing. Yeah, well, uh, every uh, every inductee has to have served in the armed forces. And uh, the veteran category uh, individuals are recognized um, probably not so much for what they did while they were uh, in military service, although many of them have very interesting stories uh, uh, and accomplishments uh, while they were in uniform. But the veteran category uh, is more directed towards what these individuals accomplished, what they did uh, after they left the military. And this year, we have uh, uh, another really uh, uh, fantastic slate of inductees, uh, uh, including these six individuals, uh, Travis Mills, uh, Herman Kaiser, uh, Coleman Young, people will remember that name, uh, Ralph Howenstein, Jerry Linegar, and uh, Tom Skerritt, interestingly enough, the Hollywood actor. Uh, again, a pretty diverse group. They've all had uh, different types of lives, uh, but giving the, giving real weight to um, helping veterans and veteran causes, military causes. So it's great to talk to Captain Paul Ryan, retired of the United States Navy, uh, vice chair of the board of the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, about these veteran inductees. Uh, Paul, why don't you tell us uh, about Herman Kaiser? Uh, sure. Uh, Herman Kaiser was born in 1938 in Grand Rapids. Uh, he enlisted in the Army as a chaplain assistant in 1962 and was commissioned as an Army chaplain in 1968. Uh, he served in Vietnam uh, with both the 1st Infantry Division and the 4th Infantry Division, was wounded twice, uh, once in a rocket attack, on a fire base uh, in Cambodia, actually, for which he received the Purple Heart. And the second time, uh, he was injured as a result of a 150-foot freefall from a helicopter. God, uh, God was looking after him on that one. Should have killed him, but it didn't. And the reason it didn't was he landed in a pile of very thick, tall grass and it broke his fall. But he was pretty, he was pretty badly banged up. Uh, from that. Uh, Herm uh, exhibited uh, a, a, his own degree of bravery, uh, in, uh, particularly in one occasion where he persuaded an intoxicated soldier who was armed and threatened to shoot his other fellow soldiers. Herm convinced this guy to surrender his weapons and uh, defused a pretty dangerous and dicey situation. Uh, Herm received the Army's Soldier's Medal uh, for that act. Uh, uh, the Soldier's Medal is given for heroism not involving actual combat. Uh, Herm had a long career in the Army, uh, positions of great responsibility uh, in the chaplain's field, the director, uh, director, deputy director of chaplaincy, uh, service support agency in Washington, uh, the executive director of the Armed Forces Chaplains Board, uh, for the Department of Defense. Uh, he was the senior command chaplain for NATO in Germany for a number of years. Herm uh, retired from the Army in 1998 as a colonel. 
but was recalled to active duty by the Secretary of the Army uh, to serve in a role supporting the uh, direct, reporting directly to the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. Um, his uh, recall was extended in 2000 by uh, the Secretary of Defense to serve as an advisor to the ambassador at large for international religious freedom at the U.S. Department of State. Uh, so, uh, you know, Herm's expertise and experience so significant that uh, the Army chose to uh, detail him to this lead role in the Department of State. Uh, Herm did finally retire from the Army in 2002. It really is uh, another one of these where you go, well, geez, I, you know, he could be in the military category, but he did so much for the Army and the Chaplain Corps post-active duty. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, the, Herm dedicated his life uh, both in and particularly out of uniform to increase the awareness of uh, moral injury in war and veterans suffering from it. Uh, he was the founding co-director of an organization called the Soul Repair Center uh, at Texas Christian University, uh, which has become uh, a very important source of informational materials stressing both the physical and the psychological aspects of post-traumatic stress uh, and um, uh, a, a number of uh, other boards and commissions. He briefed the Undersecretary of Defense for personnel and readiness three separate times on uh, just war tradition and the need to uh, change the conscientious objector policy in the armed forces. Uh, he also served as the national chaplain for the Military Order of the Purple Heart. He was a member. There are 45,000 other fellow members of the Purple Heart organization, and he was their national chaplain, um, and he held that role at the time of his death. Well, he really um, continued his service to the community and to veterans by things that he did. Uh, I have a note here that he played a key role in establishing Hidden Wounds of War, a conference at Grand Valley State University in 2014 and, and continued on as a special counselor to the Kent County Veterans Treatment Court when it was established in 2015. So uh, this is a man of faith, uh, a man who served and, and certainly had very strong views about how to help folks, how to help other folks who had served. Uh, a yes, very, he was very articulate and uh, very knowledgeable very active right up until his death in uh, 2017 at age 79. Uh, Herm is buried in Arlington National Cemetery, and um, that's not easy to do. I mean, you have to uh, you have to qualify for that. I, I, I sound a little odd, but uh, yeah. not everybody gets to right. gets to be buried there, and, and Herm is one of them. Well, uh, again, a very interesting uh, life story that uh, deservedly is in the Hall of Honor. But another gentleman who fits that category uh, would be Travis Mills. Tell us about Travis. Yeah, Travis Mills is an Army veteran uh, born in 1987 in Vassar, which is East Saginaw, although Travis now lives in Maine. Uh, he enlisted in the Army in 2006 and served with the 82nd Airborne Division. Uh, during his 
third combat tour in Afghanistan in 2012. All four of Travis's limbs sustained severe injuries from an IED explosion. Uh, as a result, uh, Travis became a quadruple amputee and was medically retired from the Army. Uh, he is only one of five quadruple amputees from the Global War on Terror to survive such wounds. Uh, just absolutely unbelievable uh, injuries that, that he suffered. After he was wounded, uh, Travis made it his personal goal to recover and be able to stand at what's known as the green ramp uh, to welcome the 82nd uh, Airborne back from that particular deployment on which uh, during which he was injured. And he actually did that. Uh, the green ramp uh, is a large uh, north-south parking ramp uh, at Pope Air Force Base in North Carolina uh, and used by the Army to stage uh, during operations of the Air Force. So it uh, doesn't much to me to, to Army type uh, uh, an I. Uh, Travis committed himself to recovering sufficiently to be there, and he was. Uh, uh, he went on to write uh, a New York Times memoir titled Tough As They Come. Uh, here's another example, Jim, of uh, an individual who uh, faced catastrophic adversity, physical adversity and uh, overcame it, not only survived, but thrived. He founded and is the board president of the Travis Mills Foundation. That foundation raised almost $3 million in donations to rehabilitate uh, a facility called Elizabeth Arden's Maine, M-A-I-N-E, Chance Lodge. Uh, that used to be a spa that was established in the 30s by the cosmetic maven uh, business leader, businesswoman, uh, Elizabeth Arden, uh, was sold in 1970. Uh, Travis, with his donations, went in, uh, acquired it, rehabilitated it, and uh, last year, or rather in, in 2017, uh, this now veterans retreat hosted over 56 combat-injured veterans and their families. Just an incredible story. Yeah, and I would recommend to anybody who is, uh, you know, a little depressed about their life or a little little down in the dumps and grumpy about, uh, you know, somebody took my parking spot or I didn't get the job or, you know, the Army didn't treat me or the VA didn't treat me fairly, go read Tough As They Come. When you hear Travis Mills' words and see and understand what he went through, boy, the rest of us have nothing to complain about. And and he's uh, he really is an inspiration, sort of a motion picture inspiration, isn't he? Uh, yeah, you know, I'd say the, the the key to life is to maintain perspective, and I, I think Travis's story will put a lot of our trials and tribulations into perspective. And it is pretty interesting that. Uh, his story is set to be the subject of a major film uh, expected to be directed by Sylvester Stallone, none other than the Italian Stallion, uh, and he is expected to co-star in it along with uh, Adam Driver, who incidentally is a Marine Corps veteran himself. 
Well, Travis's story is amazing. Um, again, well worthy of the Hall of Honor um, that's being bestowed on him here in Michigan. So uh, glad, to, glad to see his story advanced and in his uh, rightful place with all these other great Michiganders. But let's do a final one here um, in the veterans category, and, and uh, sometimes they're politicians. Uh, I know in the past inductees have included uh, congressmen and, and uh, U.S. senators and uh, judges uh, because the military really becomes a a launching point for a greater career afterwards and and the next one up to talk about is Coleman Young who I think certainly did that. Yeah, and that's that's certainly true uh, uh, your comment about launching grounds for bigger and, and better things. Uh Coleman uh was born in 1918 right in Detroit. Uh during World War II he served in the Army Air Forces. He was a Tuskegee Airman. Uh served as a bombardier and a navigator uh with the 477th medium bomber group uh there was a, a an event that occurred in 1945 toward the end of the war uh called the freeman field mutiny uh this was a series of incidents at freeman army airfield which is a base in indiana uh american uh, african-american members of the 477th attempted to integrate an all-white officers club uh, and uh, that uh, attempt uh, got some very serious pushback by Army authorities. Uh, these incidents resulted in uh, over 160 arrests of black officers from the 477th. Some of them were arrested twice. Uh, three were court-martialed on relatively minor charges, and one was convicted. Uh, a, a, a huge injustice, uh, racial discrimination against uh, members of the armed forces who are fighting to, to protect our way of life, and they get treated like this. Finally, in 1995, the Air Force officially vindicated all these actions and re- reversed the, correct, uh, the conviction and uh, uh, expunged uh, negative uh, uh, reports uh, from the letters of that from the files of some of these officers. So the the the, uh, the wrong was eventually righted. It's interesting that uh, this incident, the uh, uh, the Freeman Field mutiny, is uh, generally recognized by historians of the civil rights movement as an important step towards the full integration of the armed forces that occurred in 1948. Well, uh, it's it's nice to see that the board for the Hall of Honors. Uh, you know, recognizing some of these wrongs that have been righted, uh, whether it be Olita Christides, uh, you know, a, a, a woman in World War One who didn't get treated the right way, or Virgil Nishimura Westdale, a, a, a Nisi uh, who didn't get treated the right way in, in World War Two, and in this instance, uh, an African American officer, Coleman Young who went on to uh, really launch a political career and, and dynasty. Uh, tell any of our listeners who may not understand that uh, Coleman Young was the mayor of Detroit and, and some of the things that he did. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, uh, Coleman Young was the first African-American mayor of Detroit and served for 20 years, uh, 1974 to 1994. 
and during his administration, uh, there was really, uh, 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 you know, the face of Detroit. I, I don't think it's it's an overstatement to say the face of Detroit was transformed. Yeah, and you can really draw the dots between his public service as a Tuskegee Airman, um, uh, recognizing the segregation that uh, was going on and wanting to write that while in service, and then that same public service and writing wrongs uh, through his 20 years as mayor of Detroit. We're talking to Captain Paul Ryan, retired United States Navy and vice chair of the Michigan and Veterans Hall of Honor, which has its upcoming ceremony inducting uh, folks in both from the military category and the veterans category. And uh, what's the date of that ceremony again, uh, Paul? Uh, Jim, the, uh, the, the this year's induction ceremony will be on uh, Friday, November 18th. Uh, the ceremony begins at 12.30 p.m. at the Michigan History Center in Lansing. Yeah, and you can go to org to get more information, both on previous inductees, but also on this particular ceremony, which, as Paul mentioned, starts at 12.30 at uh, 702 Kalamazoo Street in Lansing, Michigan. Um, it's always a very dignified affair and uh, quite impressive uh, to uh, learn about all of the members who are being inducted. Uh, Paul, thank you for spending some time with Veterans Radio and uh, telling our listeners about the great work that uh, you and the board are doing uh, to bring these people forward and keep this history alive. Well, thank you for having me, Jim. Uh, speaking on behalf of the board of the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, uh, we absolutely love sharing these stories with the public, and uh, we can't wait to, to be with uh, with members of the public, with you all, uh, on November 18th, so you can hear firsthand the great things that uh, these inductees uh, have accomplished. Thanks for your time today, Paul. Thank you. Here's another example of a nonprofit working hard to support and educate uh, Michiganders about uh, the efforts undertaken by members of this state to support the military and support the country. So I uh, hope you enjoyed getting a little history from uh, the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor and check out their induction ceremony on their website. We couldn't bring these kind of stories to you without the help of friends like Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettle's Chapter 310 in Ann Arbor, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in American, uh, Irwin Preskin Post 46 also in Ann Arbor. Uh, it's important to get support from our listing public. Uh, we have national support from nvbdc.org and Legal Help for Veterans dot com. So we would like you to go to veteransradio.net and uh, click on that. You'll see some podcasts, new podcasts every Tuesday at 11 o'clock and other information. Check us out on Facebook. But we've tried to make it pretty easy for you to uh, go to our website, click on it and support us. The most recent opportunity we talked about earlier with Kate Melcher, who's on the board of Veterans Radio America, a 501c3 uh, charity, uh, Radio on the River, September 25th. Uh, you can go to that website, veteransradio.net, and go ahead and click on that Radio on the River banner. It's right up top so that you can 
buy a ticket, show up, maybe sponsor, maybe donate your ticket, or maybe just uh, make a donation to the cause uh, so that we can continue to spread the message about what we're doing. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview with uh, uh, Major Tom Schumann. I want to really encourage folks to go read the book, Always Faithful. The chapters by Zach, the Afghan interpreter, are fascinating because they really give you an insight into... uh, what Afghanistan was to Afghanis, uh, the beautiful country, the, the culture, um, before all the intolerance of the Taliban and those kinds of problems. Uh, he, he chronicles it from the time the Russians were there all the way through our period. So, uh, once again, the hour's gone fast. We appreciate you listening in as always here on Veterans Radio. Next week, Dale will be back with uh, another fascinating story or two about veterans and their service. And I'm Jim Fossone. I'm glad to be on the air with you once again. And until next time on Veterans Radio, you are dismissed.